Now, you're yeah, going to read the Bible for us this morning, so I'll let you do that now. Yeah, excellent. No, what the passage we've got for us is, um, even though we're early on in Romans, Romans 1, 18 to 32, uh, the author Paul's got some um, good words for us, um, and he doesn't hold back any punches. So Romans 1, 18 to 32. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings, and birds, and animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as though they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do the very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Okay, well, thank you, Russell. Uh, and uh, yeah, congratulations to Sam and Tara. Looking forward to their wedding and also uh, a number of weddings coming up in our church family very soon. Uh, beautiful morning this morning if you haven't ventured outside, but uh, thanks for taking the time to beam me into your household. Uh, into your living rooms, uh, you may be even watching from bed, but let me assure you, it's a beautiful day out there. So uh, get out there after the service this morning. Now, before all these restrictions came into play, 
Uh, I, uh, you know, the pelican feeding used to take place down at the entrance. And uh, I'm sure most of you have been and seen the pelicans there. But on this particular day, there was someone lurking in the crowd. I wonder if you can see him there, not just watching, but waiting to make a move. Uh, and here he goes. Uh, the pelican lady is taken by surprise, especially when I grabbed the bucket of fish. She tried to stop me, and so we sort of fought back and forward for quite a while uh, before uh, the stronger person won out, uh, and I made good my escape, uh, and there I'm out of there. Uh, but what about when I was stealing that bucket? Right, come back to that moment. What do you reckon the people in the crowd were thinking at this point? Uh, they're thinking... Who is this crazy man? Some might have been getting annoyed. Uh, some might have been getting ready to kind of take me down. But what if, what if I knew something that no one else knew? What if I knew that those fish were actually poisoned uh, and if the pelicans ate them, it would be their last meal? Now, if that was the case, then far from being mad... I would be a hero, uh, and this would be my photo on the front page of the newspaper. Now, that's all purely hypothetical, of course, but as Paul went throughout the Roman Empire speaking what he claimed to be the good news of Jesus, there was really mixed reactions. And some people thought he was a madman. Some people got annoyed, even angry, even violently angry. But Paul was convinced that he knew something. He had a clarity about something that the rest of the ancient world didn't understand. They didn't know about. And that was the good news of Jesus. Uh, and he knew the good news of Jesus was a solution to our biggest problem. But the big problem is most of us, most people didn't even realise they had a problem and so for Paul, in order, to, in order to help people be clear and understand the good news of Jesus, first he needed to kind of outline what's the problem that Jesus came to solve. And here is the problem. The God who made us, our creator, is angry with us. Look at verse 18. Have your Bible open at Romans chapter 1. Look at verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. And this section goes all the way up to chapter 3, verse 23, where he concludes that all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. Now, that's a problem because one day each and every one of us will stand before our Creator and on that day, we will have to give an account for the way we've lived our lives, the way we've responded to him, the way we've responded to his kindness to us. And on that day, the last thing we want is for God to be angry with us. Uh, and so what I want to do you know, is follow Paul's logic here and to start with, why is God angry with us? What, what have we done? Um, so verse 18, 
Starting in that verse, Paul points out a whole bunch of things that we, the human race, have done to provoke God's anger. And the first is that we have suppressed the truth about God. See verse 18, it mentions that word suppress. God is angry because people suppress the truth in their wickedness. You see, the truth about God has been made clear to every person on the planet. But the way we respond, tragically, is by suppressing the truth. Have a look at verse 19. I want you to look there closely. What may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Now notice there's a paradox. Right? A paradox is something that looks contradictory but actually turns out to be quite a profound truth. I want you to have a look at the paradox. The paradox is this. It talks about God's invisible qualities, things you cannot see, his eternal power, his divine nature. And it says these, these invisible qualities have been clearly seen. They've been made plain. God has made them plain. See, the invisible things have been made visible, have been made clear and plain to every person on the planet. Now, King David, uh, a thousand years before Paul, in 1000 BC, captured these same truths uh, in Psalm 19. I want you to have a look and I want you to see if you can spot the paradox in these verses, the same paradox. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out to all the earth, their words to the end of the world. Now, do you see the paradox? The paradox is that they have no speech, no words, no sound is heard from them, yet they declare, they proclaim, they pour forth speech, they reveal knowledge, their voice goes out to the end of the earth, their words into all the world. See, Psalm 19 and Romans 1 both make the same point. The truth about the invisible God has been made clear, plain and evident to every single person living on planet Earth. Now you go out, hopefully you've been out either in the morning or to see the beautiful sunrises at the moment or even the moon, right? Just, the, just sometimes you gasp in wonder, don't you? At the, at the beauty, at the majesty. Or you go out at night and just see that the wondrous glory of the everlasting stars. Or I want to challenge you to put, a, put some goggles on your head and stick your head underwater at Tawoon Bay and just look at the beauty of the fish life there. It's absolutely spectacular. Uh, the colours, the, 
the, the different designs. Uh, and people, uh, people who study the human body just gasp in wonder at how wonderfully we are put together. Uh, and all these things point unmistakably to a good creator who stands behind it, who is powerful, uh, who is eternal, who deserves our praise and worship. But how do we respond to the good creator? We suppress the truth. Uh, we push it underground. Um, I want to um, challenge you. You don't have to do this, but uh, jump into a pool with a whole bunch of rubber ducks, right? Uh, and try to push them underwater. And you might be successful, right? You might be able to get some of them sort of submerged, but it's futile because you push some under here and then they keep popping up elsewhere. That's what people try to do with the truth about God. What this passage is saying is that we suppress the truth about God. Uh, we, we, in a sense, we push it away, but the reality of God's truth, the revelation that we see in creation, it just keeps popping up all over the place. And so it leaves us without excuse. See those final words in verse 20? So that humanity is without excuse. As I read the paper at the moment, I see that there's lots of anger out there. Uh, and I'll give you a couple of examples. So the Ruby Princess, the, the cruise ship, there's anger towards the ship's owner. Did they know that there was a virus on board their ship? Did the doctor know? Did the captain know? Did they know the truth about the virus on board? And did they suppress that truth? Uh, I hear the same being said about the Chinese government. Did they know that a deadly virus was growing amongst them? Did they know the truth, but then did they suppress the truth? You see, it's one thing to make a mistake in ignorance, isn't it? It's one thing to say, look, I, I, just, I just didn't know. I was completely unaware of this thing going on. But if they did know and they chose to hide the truth or suppress the truth, then at that point they become culpable, don't they? Uh, in that point, you can understand people's anger that there's been a, a cover-up, a suppression. Uh, and, and it's the same with God. If, people, if the people of our world honestly like, never knew anything about God, then surely people could plead ignorance. Oh, I just didn't know there was a God, had no idea. But God says, no, that's not the case. The truth has been clearly revealed in the world that God has made. It testifies to the creator, but it was deliberately, culpably suppressed so that humanity is without excuse. So why is God angry? We suppress the truth about God. But secondly, we exchange the truth of God for a lie. Look at verse 21. Although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. See, that, that ought to be the response uh, as we see the power of God and his goodness 
we ought to praise him. We ought to worship him and recognise there's a good creator who deserve our thanks and our honour. But once we suppress the truth, verse 23, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. And you look around the world and that is so often what we do in our, in our religious instincts. We know there's a God and yet we try to express it or channel our devotion through making idols. And you see idols in Hinduism, in Buddhism, even in parts of Christianity. There, what, what there is, is this, you know, you have this invisible eternal creator, but instead of worshipping God, people bow down and worship statues that, that are made to look like humans. And it looks, like, it looks sincere, but God fails to get the glory that he alone deserves. It's like we rob him of his praise. And verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. See, what starts with idolatry uh, goes beyond idolatry. And that is we start worshipping ourselves. We worship celebrities. We even worship our own bodies. You know, and we work out at the gym looking in the mirror at ourselves. Uh, and the sport and houses and cars that, that take the place of God in terms of our allegiance, our affections, our devotion. We worship and serve each other rather than our creator. And this goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. It's not new. It's been going on for thousands of years. So remember in the Garden of Eden, there you had this beautiful garden paradise that God had made. And there's the man and the woman enjoying the bounty of everything that God had made. But instead of thanking God for his goodness and kindness and reveling in it, instead of being content in it, the man and the woman exchanged the truth of God for lies. Remember the serpent comes along and causes them to doubt God. And instead of listening to God and trusting him and honouring him, they exchanged the truth about God for the lies of the serpent. And that pattern of exchanging truth for lies have, has been played out again and again and again in every generation. And there's another exchange. They exchanged God-given for godless, exchanging natural for unnatural. Look at verse 26. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. You see, God created sex in the first place. And God said, it is good. It fit 
the purposes for which God had made it. Uh, enjoyment, intimacy, union, giving birth to children. See, sex was designed for the marriage relationship. That was God's purpose from the beginning. The man and the woman, naked, unashamed, one flesh. But from that point on, we have suppressed the truth about God. We have exchanged the truth for lies. And so we constantly abandon God's purposes for the things he made and we come up with our own purposes. Uh, we abandon God-given for godless. We abandon natural for unnatural, including his good purposes for sex. And you see this played out, again, in the pages of the Bible. So you move on beyond the Garden of Eden and you find the daughters of men having sex with the sons of the gods uh, and uh, women exchanging natural relations for unnatural. It's messed up. It's outside God's purposes. Well, then in Genesis 19, the men of Sodom give way to their lusts, not content with their own wives. They crave sexual experience outside of their marriage. In fact, when these, these strangers come to town, these men, they, they storm the house that they're staying in and demand to have sex with them. And so begins the story of God's purposes for sex, God's good purposes, abandoned, put aside. And so you have adultery, pedophilia, homosexuality, pornography, rape, incest, and along with those things, shame and brokenness. In the words of Romans 1, it is the degrading of their bodies with one another. So why is God angry? People suppress the truth about God, exchange the truth for lies, exchange God's purposes for our own, and fourthly, we do and approve the very things that we kind of know deserve death. Look at verse 28. Uh, they do, this is the last part of the verse, they do what ought not to be done. They become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit and malice. They're gossips, slanderers. God-haters, in, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no faithfulness, no love, no mercy. I want you to notice the list of things here goes way beyond immoral sex. Greed is also immoral. Envy, gossip, right? Gossip, something our world is rife with. God says that is immoral. Disobeying parents is immoral. And verse 32, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of others who do them. So why is God angry? We suppress the truth about God, exchange the truth for lies, exchange God-given for Godless, and we do and even approve 
the very things that we instinctively know deserve death. And so how is God's anger being expressed? I want you to notice verse 18. It says the wrath of God is being revealed. There's there's coming a day of judgment in the future when God's wrath will finally be revealed. But even now, God's wrath is being revealed. You see it way back in the first pages of the Bible. What did God do when the men and the women, the man and the woman, when Adam and Eve exchanged the truth of God for the lies of the serpent in the garden? Well, Adam and Eve experienced the judgment of God. He expelled them from the garden paradise. Uh, He cut off their access to the tree of life. Death had now entered God's good world. What did God do when the women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones? Uh, In the days just before Noah, you know, when the daughters of men had sex with the sons of the gods? Well, the flood came on the world of those days. And what did God do when the men of Sodom were inflamed with lust for one another without restraint? He brought fire and destruction on that city. See, the, God, the wrath of God is being revealed. And notice how Paul expresses it in Romans 1. He says, God gives people over to the shameful, harmful consequences of their rebellion. Verse 24, God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Verse 26, God gave them over to shameful lusts. They received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Verse 28, God gave them over to a depraved mind. See, just look around our world. The brokenness, the abuse, the evil, it is rampant. It is, it is rampant and it is far more pervasive than any virus. It is far more destructive than any virus. And it is evidence, God says it is evidence of a world that he has handed over. He has enabled, he has allowed us to reap the consequences of our rejection of him. Uh, we, choose, we say, no, I don't want God. I'm going to suppress the truth about God. I'm going to choose my own path. And God allows us to experience what that is like. And it's only a foretaste of his wrath to come. Now, these things are heavy, aren't they? Uncomfortable, even depressing. But I just want to point out Paul doesn't tell us these things to leave us feeling heavy, depressed, uncomfortable. He tells us these things because there is a solution. See, Paul's not a madman, Uh, he's a hero because he not only brings to us a clarity about the problem we have, but he also brings us a clarity on God's solution. He helps us to see that the good news of Jesus truly is good news. There is a way to escape 
God's wrath that we so deserve. And that is what Paul is building towards the beautiful word, but. But now a righteousness of God has been made known through faith in Christ Jesus. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace. So I want you to, be, I want you to see that whilst, whilst what Paul has to say in this chapter is heavy, uncomfortable, he's not just about condemnation. What he's doing is he's painting a black backdrop which, against which he can shine the beauty and the glory and the wonder of the good news of Jesus. Um, I don't know if you've noticed this, but when a, when a jeweller wants to display the brilliance of their diamonds, what they do is they take a black velvet cloth and they lay it out and then they have their, you know, their, their special lights shining in and they lay out the diamonds uh, on the cloth and you can see the diamonds and the facets of the diamonds in, in its full brilliance. That's what Paul is doing not a madman. He's bringing us with a clarity the problem we have and the solution, building towards the solution. Uh, and so we've seen this morning the way what we do is we exchange the truth of God for a lie. And so God hands us over to the consequences of our sin. But the gospel of Jesus is about another exchange. God took his perfect son and gave him up in our place, handed him over to judgment in our place. On the cross, Jesus took my sin. He took your sin, our condemnation, so that if we put our faith in him, we are rescued from the wrath of God to come and we receive his righteousness, his perfection and his reward. Uh, and I hope, you, I hope you tune in next week and the week after as Paul continues to build our understanding of the glorious, wonderful good news of Jesus. Uh, let me lead us in prayer. Oh God, our Father, we've wrestled with heavy truths today. Confronting truths uh, and Father, we pray that you'll help each one of us to weigh these things, to consider our own part in this, how we have suppressed the truth, how we have exchanged truth for lies, how we have abandoned your way and chosen our own way, how we have done and approved terrible things. Father, Thank you that you did not send your son Jesus to condemn us, but to save us from the mess that we had created. Thank you that you handed him over to judgment in our place, the great exchange, the righteous one for the unrighteous. So Father, please forgive us through the blood of your son Jesus. Please change us so that we live giving you the praise and your son the thanks 
and the worship that he and you deserve. And please help us to embrace this good news of Jesus wholeheartedly. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.